Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, the Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckert. Dave, it's a slow week for Blazers news this week. Uh, we don't have a lot. We're getting close to the season. Things are kind of slowing down before they pick up again. How are you doing? How how is things on your end? Well, it's a slow week for the entire NBA. I mean, let's face it, these late to mid-August weeks are when everybody goes on vacation. General managers take vacation, media members take vacation, players are still on vacation, coaches are on vacation. Not a lot of stuff is going to go on here. It's the big dead zone of the NBA news cycle. But you know what? You kind of need that because it gets so frantic uh, everywhere else. And now, honestly, with Summer League, that runs through you know mid to late July. Uh, training camps open early, and of course, there's schedule releases now and all kinds of stuff. So... You know, basically mid-September through late July is is packed. So it's nice to actually have a little eddy in the river here, I think. How are you doing? Yeah, my brain went on vacation with all the executives, I think. Because it's, it's a struggle. The WNBA season just finished the regular season. Um, so it's I'm kind of in a lull right now as well. Yeah, it's just, it's it's kind of a weird middle ground right now where everything and i'm i'm the kind of person where when things slow down like this i just feel like i'm forgetting things or like i miss because i'm used to go 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 and so anytime there's a lull or anytime there's a break i just feel like i'm forgetting something it's really hard for me to just relax it's going to be a a couple months of trying to do that (laughs) yeah exactly and well you know like i said it's good to have the mental break i think players and you know everybody kind of needs that you can't be under the microscope 24 7 365 
there needs to be some downtime here. And we're in it, so that's great. I mean, have we got anything this week? What's going on? Yeah, very, very little. Uh, Just kind of a couple little things. Um, The season opener has been announced October 19th against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, I don't believe it's been announced whether it will be played in Portland or in Sacramento yet, but that is the date. That is the matchup for the first game of the season. October 19th feels like it's so far away. (laughs) Oh, it'll be here before you know it, but I mean, that's also good in that the Blazers get to open up with a win, right? I mean, you would expect. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hope. We'll hope. So. It's it's funny how much I got used to last season, and now I have to readjust to, wait, we're going to win again. Well, you got to remember the beginning of last season, and um, we said Portland needed to get off to a hot start, and they very much didn't. It was a mediocre start, and then everything fell apart, and it became just a dustbin of a season, but... The same thing kind of applies. It's not the same kind of urgency because they've already made their changes. We said last year, if they didn't get off to a hot start, changes would be made. And they didn't, and they were. This year, there's not as many changes to be made. If there's going to be another trade, it's going to be a trade for improvement, not to take apart the roster. So, I mean, you could argue that maybe that trade looks different based on a hot start or a not hot start, but it's not going to be a radical change in direction. Uh, So they have a little leeway, but if they hope to prove that they are going to, I don't know, contend or even be really good, they they can't get off to a terrible start, uh, and even a mediocre one won't be great, so these early games could have some significance. Yeah, so so October 19th, we'll start out against the Kings, and then the other kind of big announcement that came out was a, a leaked Christmas Day schedule uh, showing that there is no Blazers game on Christmas, which I feel like, when was the, I wonder when the last time we had a, a game on Christmas was, because I feel like this almost never happens for us. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while, and I can look it up by the end of the podcast. We should have it, but look, honestly, for a lot of people including if it's a home game like the, you know, vendors and stuff like that. Also media people, those of us who have families and all that stuff. It is, I hate to say it, but unless it's really important, it's a bit nicer not to have a Christmas Day game because then you get to spend Christmas Day with your family and not working. Uh, So they had had one in 2018. Uh, I do know that. They did not have one in 2019. So 2018 was the last Christmas Day game that I know of. Okay, so not as far back as I would have thought. But you're right. That's a good point. And I think for the players, too, you know, they get they don't have to be playing on Christmas. They can hopefully be with their families as well. And I, I that's a nice thing to be able to to do. So especially if you're away and you're having to travel. Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, the the people adjust and spend Christmas on different days. But again, the players, okay, with, you know, if you're making $10 million a year, you can make up for a missed Christmas pretty easily. I mean, I, I get it. Family and money doesn't make up for that but still there are a lot of options there um if if you're a beat writer or something like that and you have a family and there's a christmas day game and you got to go cover it for zero more dollars than you would have made uh not covering it and those dollars aren't an enormous amount it's one of the burdens of the uh job not one of the blessings 
Yeah, I was, as a kid, we always did Christmas on different days. And now that, you know, I don't have my kids all the time because they're with their dad sometimes as well. I don't always get them on Christmas. And so I'm somebody that's used to Christmas is, doesn't always have to be December 25th. If we're going to sell, you know, we celebrate sometimes on December 22nd. We celebrate sometimes on, you know, December 29th. It, It doesn't always fall for me on December 25th. So this has never been a huge issue for me, but I definitely know when you're dealing with family schedules and things like that it, it it's always nice to have it off so yeah no christmas game for the blazers but uh silver linings silver linings yeah exactly <laughs> and, and you know hey look also you don't want to show up on christmas day unless you're really good you know what i mean because you don't want to get exposed as <laughs> mediocre you know, like you know you don't want to be that team that everybody goes oh why am i watching them on christmas day and then they sucked on top of that you want to like have people be excited you want to have it be a coming out party in terms of you know your debutante you know thing uh so i mean there will come a day for that for portland but i'm not sure that this year is it last little piece of news there is uh keon johnson is going to be making history with the trailblazers which is maybe a sentence that we didn't expect um but the nba announced that they would be retiring the number six across the league in honor of bill russell and and his you know he he passed away we talked about that on the last episode so they've decided to retire the number six across the league which has never been done with a number before and the caveat being that if there is a player on the team currently wearing that number they can continue to wear that number so next well i was gonna say next season but whenever the last number six retires uh, they will, that'll be the end of it. And no one can wear that number again. So Keon Johnson currently wears number six for the Portland Trailblazers. And he will be the last Portland Trailblazer to wear the number six. Yeah. Well, I mean, and fair enough. Uh, and we talked about Bill Russell and what he meant. And, you know, Keon Johnson, I suppose, uh, will be a, a trivia question uh, for the Trailblazers uh, in years to come. 20 years from now, people will be asking this on Trivia Night. So you who listen to the Dave and Dia podcast, you have this uh, first and never forget it. It was Keon Johnson who was the last person. Yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. I like that they did this. I think it. I think it's a cool move. If I'm a player wearing the number six, I would probably pick a new number for the next year. Um, but I do like that they gave them the option of, of doing that. And, and I think it was a nice thing for them to retire the numbers. So, yeah, but that's it. That's all we've got for the Blazers this week. What do we do, Dave? Is this a 10-minute podcast today? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think uh, what we should do is it's been, I mean, this is podcast, what, 92? Is that correct? Something like that? Yeah, 92. We've done 92 podcasts at the very, very beginning, like podcast two. uh, We talked about ourselves. 90 podcasts later, uh, maybe we should reintroduce ourselves to the audience a little bit, talk about our Blazer fandom and whatever. We'll come up with some strategic questions. We don't have any written down. But let's uh, start with you, Dia Miller. If we were to ask how you got to be a Trailblazers fan, fan uh what would you say uh you know i i mean i've made no secret of the fact that i live in los angeles uh and i've lived here since i was a teenager but i grew up in oregon uh, i grew up in southern oregon uh ashland brookings very very bottom of the state 
Um, but my family, my extended family is in Portland. And when I was a kid, my grandparents had season tickets to the Trailblazers. In fact, they got them the year that Clyde Drexler was drafted and they held them until the last game that he played as a blazer. Um, so they had season tickets for Clyde Drexler's entire career. And I used to get to go as a kid, you know, I, I went to my first blazer game before I could walk. My mom talks about finding a random bar in the stadium to, to get me out of the seats and let me walk around, which is really funny if you know my family, cause none of my family are drinkers at all. Um, so it's kind of a funny picture there, but I remember being a kid sitting on my grandpa's lap in that, in, in, the Coliseum watching the trailblazers play. And I became like a legit fan at a very young age. I don't know when I, I mean, I'm not sure that there's really a a point where it happened. I think it just kind of gradually was ingrained in, in my upbringing and in, in what I was exposed to, but I have very clear memories and, and we've talked about some of these on the podcast in the past, but I was the kid that I didn't have boy band posters on my wall. I had a life-size poster of Clyde Drexler on my wall. And it's funny because when I started writing with Blazer's Edge, I got a message from one of my childhood friends and she said, you know, I always really thought it was weird that you had that poster of Clyde Drexler on your wall, but it kind of makes sense now. Um, And so that was just always ingrained in me. I always was a sports fan. I, I played sports from the time I was in first grade and basketball was my favorite. You know, my, my number, in in basketball was 22 because of Clyde and my first email address I still remember that email address you know at AOL or whatever it was it was basketball but with no vowels 22 at AOL.com I think that was just such a part of my identity and then when we moved to California to LA even I was in the minority you know I the majority of the people around me were Lakers fans there were some Clippers fans interspersed in there and then some other random teams but if you know me at all you know that being the underdog is I embrace that I embrace being the minority in a situation like that and so it really just made me hold on to the trailblazers even tighter because that was where I came from that was my childhood that was so much of who I was that you know I I just I never let it go I just held on to it and and it you know, it became more and more of a thing. And as I got older, I dove deeper and, and here we are, you know, as an adult getting to, to sit here and talk about the team on the podcast and live in, you know, in, in Lakerland. <laughs> Family passes on fandom that, yeah. uh, you know, aunt yeah. and uncle or parents or whatever it is that there's usually this one thing that happens and, it becomes associated with your family and then it kind of sticks. So, I mean, I'm yeah. sure there are people who come to their fandom apart from that, you know, when they're adults or just are the black sheep in their family mm-hmm. or whatever. But for so many of us, it does become that tradition, that faith almost that's handed down. Well, and for me too, you know, my dad jumped on the LA bandwagon when we moved here. He tends to like to support sports teams in the city he lives in and he grew up moving around so his teams changed when he moved and he became a Lakers fan which was heartbreaking for me and we still don't talk about it a lot but my mom you know she likes the Blazers but she's a casual fan at this point she's much more into baseball than she is into basketball and my grandma 
she same thing. She's much more into baseball than she is into basketball anymore. And my grandpa, who was probably the biggest Trailblazer fan, the one who I would talk to the most about it, passed away a few years ago. And so, and I think about that often, you know, and it's actually kind of an emotional thing for me, but I think about the things that I've been able to do. And, you know, um, last year when I met Clyde, and when I've done interviews with with different people from the team, or I've had the opportunity to, to meet players or work with players and interact with players from the Trailblazers, every time that happens, I think, man, I wish I could call my grandpa and tell him about this because he would think it was so cool. Um, and, and I think that that's one of those things, too, that will keep me clinging to this team is even though he's not here, this is something that we shared that really of of my family, he was the one that I was most connected to through the Trailblazers. I mean, that's, uh, that's I think, not an atypical story. And especially now, okay, because look, the, the NBA has been around for, you know, since the 40s, right? And obviously professional basketball existed before that. But you really look at the boom, uh, you know, the David Stern era, the magic Larry Bird, it's since the 1980s, right? That the big boom happened. Well, today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. That's now grandparents, right? I mean, it's starting to to be, you know, if you were 20 uh, in the 1980s, you are now grandparent age now. So we're starting to get that generational, like, uh, attachment on a much wider scale than we once had because the league literally exploded to much wider consciousness than it once yeah. had. And it will not be long, by the way, before the Michael Jordan generation is now your grandparents. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we'll follow Shaq and Kobe. So it's like you're going to st- to get that and you know obviously anyone born since let's say 1986 has never lived in a a world where the nba was not a really big deal so uh, i think your story will become pretty common as for me i remember being a kid and i was quite young but it was in 77 and uh, of course the blazers were going to win the championship uh, but before they did that, they were in the playoffs. No games were televised back then, but the playoffs were. And I remember going downstairs, and my dad was watching TV, and there were people throwing around this ball in an interesting way. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, it's basketball. It's like a game. And I'm like, ooh, cool. And it's like, my dad said, you see those guys who are wearing white? And I said, yeah. He said, that's our team. I, what do you mean our team? I thought like my dad had a team or what did that mean, right? <laughs> do we own this? Yeah. Uh, and, and he's like, no, um, our city, our, you know, uh, Portland, uh, that's, that's, they're from our city. And that was my first concept of city and also my first real concept of team. And I sat down to watch and the game was exciting. And of course they went on to win the NBA championship that year. 
And as I always say, first of all, that was the best introduction because success, right? I mean, I remember watching- Just all downhill from there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was watching the finals, you know, with with bated breath, just hanging on everything. And when they won it, it was so dang happy. And everybody was happy. And everyone in my school was talking about it. They had the big parade. I didn't go, but of course you heard it on the news and all that stuff. So it, it changed the entire environment around Portland. And this new consciousness was exploding all around me, and you couldn't help but get swept up in it. Now, I thought the Blazers, first of all, were going to win it every year. And even when they didn't win it in subsequent years, I thought Portland was the real champions. Uh, these other guys were just kind of faking it or holding it till Portland could get it back. Uh, turned out, I'm still waiting. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, you you very quickly went through Bill Walton getting injured and leaving. So you got the sadness mixed in with the joy within a two-year span, right? Less than two years, really. So that kind of bittersweetness was built into me. And that's what Portland has been trading on ever since. Now, the real team that I fell in love with was the same team you did because I was actually of an age to understand it. I was a little older than you, but not that much. And I was just at the point where I had like my first, uh, you know, beginnings of a job. I I wasn't graduated from college yet or anything, but I, you know, I had made enough money where I could get tickets. And so I went and bought tickets for like the 13 best games. I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Spurs, Michael Jordan, you know, uh, Charles Barkley, uh, all that stuff. And my sister and I went during the, uh, it was 91 season. So we already rode with them to the 1990 finals. Then I saw a bunch of games in the 91 season, which was their best year ever. Uh, and then, of course, there was the 92 finals. And, and you knew that they weren't going to win it all. If, when they didn't win it in 91, you kind of knew it was done. But you had one last gasp of hope in 92 yeah. with Clyde. And uh, they didn't win it then. But still, that was a fine kind of grown-up ish introduction to good basketball uh in a way you could understand and that kind of stuck and that cemented it and then uh you know you ride with them i wasn't that enthralled with the rasheed wallace teams you know the traveling all-star teams. it was cool had they won it all i was ready to emotionally invest in a different way but it was it was admittedly a bit harder to like those teams because there was a lot of hired guns on them and the ones that weren't were not exactly as charismatic as Clyde and all the kid you know players I remembered from my childhood they were fine in retrospect but for me it was hard to make that investment when they didn't win and then fell apart into the jailblazers era I was one of the few people I think who didn't entirely check out uh, I, I was part of a discussion group online. It was AOL, I believe, at that time. And you had to have the disc for the free minutes and it had the dial up and the green and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, we talked. There was like six of us. Uh, and a couple more people came in that were actually media people and were, were part of it. And that's how I got my first media blogging connections. I started a blog. And then uh, the, the salient part about that, we'll do Blazer's Edge, another time but at that time barely anybody was talking about the Blazers barely anybody remembered uh, much past the Rashid Wallace teams right I mean everybody knew that Clyde existed but that spirit was long gone if people talked about the Blazers it was in two veins either they suck now and roll their eyes and why even caring about this or 
you have to be a true faithful believer. And if you say anything bad about this team, you are terrible, which is clearly wrong because that team was terrible. And by the way, compounding it by tripping over themselves every 10 seconds in their public relations. And so, you know, um, we found something that had been lost, a reasonable talk about basketball that did not give up on the team, that carried uh, that idea of good basketball from the past and, you know, a franchise that you gathered around in respect, but also truth-telling about the distance between where we were and, uh, you know, where we used to be. And uh, somehow that took off. And in any way, now my Blazer fandom and or coverage has become quite public. But, you know, that's basically my uh, my journey. And, I, you know, I fell in love with them the way everybody did back then, watching them win it all. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing to hear people like you who came into this fandom with a winning team, you know, and and I think about that a lot now that the people that are becoming fans of the, of the Trailblazers now, you know, the people like my children, my children are, are very exposed to this team. I talk about it often. We watch it often. And I think for them, rather than winning, the thing that's bringing them to it is players you know my youngest son we've talked about before is is very much a cj mccollum fan which is a whole other story because he's not even on the team anymore but i think it's it's always interesting to hear what brings that there and for you growing up in portland and and being exposed to that as your team just automatically you know and then at a time where the team was winning that's that's a great start it's 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 hard to come back from that though then when the team struggles but i think you cling to that i'm sure at 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 times where you know you knew what that felt like you were there you saw that happen well but i mean look at the it, it was never just winning it was winning and then the fall uh and you know the first time it happened like i said was bill walton's foot which is was unimaginable to a kid i mean i thought bill walton was you know the bee's knees uh and right. it turned out he had a bum foot instead uh you know of winning it again and again they ended up falling apart very quickly so you got the the hope and promise and then the dashing now look what happened in the clyde Drexler area you finally built back to that and they were right there and you know Danny Young's shot is waved off at the buzzer the half court shot that would have you know tied the game and stuff like that and they lose to the Pistons that terrible heart-wrenching Western Conference uh, series to the Lakers where Terry Porter missed the shot that would have uh, locked it up after the big comeback and then uh, Magic Johnson throws the ball in the air in a moment that's still replayed on tape okay crushing heartbreak and then Clyde not winning at 92 and then being traded. Okay, so you have that winning. And by the way, a lot of people make this... When they talk about those Clyde teams, they talk about them as, oh, the championship team. So really, they were the finals team. Right. But in Portland's right. heart, that team was a championship team. They just never yeah. won it. So that kind of fell apart. Then you have, you know, the brief blip for those who like Rasheed Wallace, Scotty Pippen at all. Uh, but then that also became the Jailblazers. Uh, and then you had Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge, the resurrection. And then Roy and Odin, of course, spectacular injury failure. And that falls apart. So every step of the way the the promise and the victories have been accompanied by tragedy and great loss this is the trailblazer story and i think we were indoctrinated into it very early and uh it's never stopped since i it's an interesting franchise to be a fan of you know when you start to have conversations with other basketball fans who are not 
Blazers fans and the things that you hear. You know, I, I just had a conversation with somebody the other day that, and they were talking about how they're convinced that our franchise is cursed with injuries. And I thought, well, yeah, you and me both. <laughs> Um, but you know, the, the different things that stick out to people. And I, I always say that when you aren't a Portland fan, when you've never been a Portland fan, you don't fully understand what it is to be part of that culture. And I guess you could say that of any team, but I think there are teams like the Lakers that, you know, are just a constantly winning team, uh, usually, um, and, and things like that. I think there are teams like that or like the Golden State Warriors that have recently had a dynasty. I think there are teams like that where you can kind of get the idea of what it's like. I think that with Portland, and I'm not saying this isn't true for other teams as well, but I think with Portland, there are a lot of nuances that you just don't understand if you've never been a Portland fan. And I think that that's why when we have conversations about things like Damian Lillard and stuff like that, that, that you know, there's this entire fandom outside of Portland that's yelling one thing and then inside of Portland everybody's yelling something else and I think that that's one of the things that's been fun and unique about being a part of this fandom is there's there's just it's just different to me and it's it's a different kind of fandom and again that's not to say that others don't have things like that as well um, but I, I think it's always very interesting to have those conversations with people about what they think of of the team well ironically the Damian Lillard era is the big exception in Trailblazers history. Now, granted, it took Clyde Drexler from 1983 to 1990 to, to ramp up, but Lillard's already been here longer than that, right? Yeah. In Trailblazers history, accepting, uh, you know, the Jeff Petrie, Sidney Wicks expansion teams when they was just starting out and you don't have a reasonable expectation of contending, okay? In Trailblazers history... There's never been a real major star on the team where they haven't bloomed into incredible success and then crashed. I mean, you have Bill Walton, obviously. Um, you had Clyde Drexler. You had Rasheed Wallace. And granted, they only went to two Western Conference finals, but those teams were pretty significant. They were considered contenders. Uh, people will say, well, Damian Lillard went to the conference finals, but I don't think in 2019 anybody believed that they were really going to be contenders unless they had beaten the Warriors, which, of course, they never even came close to doing, didn't even win a game. So, uh, you know, it, it's a little different there. But Rasheed, you know, went big and then plop. Um, and then, of course, Brandon Roy and Greg Oden and LaMarcus Aldridge did not reach that level of success. But when they played, they won at like almost 80% of their game. You know, when all three were healthy, it was pretty clear that they were going to be a formidable force. And then they crashed, of course, very quickly because of those injuries. Oden never really got off the ground. And Roy had like three good seasons and then began to decline. Okay, so here's my point. When there's been a major star on the team, this has literally been the most stable the Blazers have ever been. The most consistent the Blazers have ever been with a major star on their team. The problem is it's been consistently mediocre. But we almost don't know how to put this era into perspective, I think, uh, because it's so level. And we're just not used to dealing with that as Blazers fans. We're used to the big win and the big fail. Yeah. I'm hoping that we're going to get to the big win. I'm hoping that that's the direction we go. <laughs> so. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously that would be great. And it would be a fitting cap to Lillard's career, but this would be the first time. Let's presume, let's say you get your wish. And within the next couple of years, Damian Lillard makes it to the NBA finals or wins a championship and then, you know, declines and retires. That would be completely unprecedented in franchise history. It's never happened that a story ends up that nice your lips to God's ears, maybe that'll happen. But if it doesn't happen, it will also be hard to rank this era uh, against others of other stars yeah. and what have you. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's in unique in its own right. You know, we're, we're watching something happen here that you're right. We haven't seen before. I think this is part of why the comparisons are always hard for me. You know, I, I can't compare Clyde Drexler and Damian Lillard. It's two different stories and, and two different things. And, and I just... It's it's so hard to to really make those comparisons straight across the board because they're just such different circumstances. Yeah, and they're absolutely different types of guards. I mean, we've seen. I mean, Clyde was physically dominant, six foot six, six foot seven, uh, stronger than anybody in the league at that time. Absolutely one of the top high flyers for much of his career. So, I mean, he was he was like a force of nature. Uh, whereas Damian Lillard doesn't have that same athleticism. Uh, he does have this shooting skill, uh, unlike anybody who's ever put on Portland's uniform. And unlike, you know, few people in the league really could match him historically. Uh, but also, you know, plays in a different era where it's easier to be a smaller, slighter guard and score a bunch because you can't touch guards uh, and, you know, the, the, the whistles are different and all that. So, like, comparisons from era to era, let alone from player to player and position to position, are really difficult. Uh, that said, I mean, it, it's all going to fall on, I think, the better individual player, if you look at stats and such, is clearly going to be Damian Lillard. The better player in terms of team success is clearly going to be Clyde Drexler, unless something changes. And therein will lie a debate that uh, rages for decades, probably. Yeah, I hate these debates. This is my least favorite part of talking about basketball. <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately, we're not in any burden to uh, to answer it. So, like, what significant events do you remember from, like, your childhood or beginning of fandom? Is there any, like, moment or moments that you, like, went, oh, yeah, this is, I remember this clear as day? Probably the single most defining moment for me and my fandom as a child was the the day that Clyde Drexler got traded, you know, there, there was a lot of, of, of the team and, and basketball that kind of runs together. And I don't remember specific games. I don't, that's never how I've enjoyed basketball. You know, for me, it's always been a lot more of, of the overall feeling of how it made me feel of how I, I, you know, the, the interactions that were happening around it, the, the joy that it brought to me as a child. But I remember very clearly the day that Clyde Drexler got traded to the Rockets and not fully understanding as a kid, because I was young at that point. I was like eight, maybe, I think. And I didn't fully grasp what was happening. And it changed things for me because a big part of what I loved about the Blazers was Clyde. And so I had to kind of adjust how I watched and, and how I enjoyed basketball. I became a Rockets fan along with being a Blazers fan. I never really stopped cheering for the for the Blazers. That's always been ingrained in me. But I couldn't stop 
cheering for Clyde either. And so that was the year that I kind of did both. I just decided I didn't have to be either or. I could root for Clyde and I could root for the Blazers. And that's what I did. Uh, That was also around the time that I decided Brian Grant would be my favorite player for a while. uh, and, And just really loved watching him play. As a kid, there was just this like finality to that, that Clyde was gone. He wasn't ever going to play on the Trailblazers again. And that was a hard thing for me to comprehend and to to grasp. And just it wasn't the team that I had known it to be anymore. And I remember that. I mean, I experienced just in life in general, I experienced a lot of loss in my life as a kid. So the idea of loss, like this wasn't a traumatic loss compared to, you know, real life things that I had dealt with. But I remember being very sad and just really feeling that loss. Um, and I, I think that I think that that's something that's I've really enjoy about today's NBA, actually, is that I very much can, especially with social media the way that it is, especially with access to the games the way that they are, I know that no matter where a player goes, I can continue to root for them. I can continue to watch them and cheer for their success and still be a Trailblazers fan. And I feel like I figured that out really young. Uh, I, you know, I, I had to have that conversation with my son, Jesse, when when CJ got traded and Jesse, Jesse cried. Uh, and he, you know, he kept asking the same kinds of questions that I'm sure I asked as a child, trying to understand what this meant. And then eventually coming down on the fact that he could still root for CJ and also be a Blazers fan. And so it's a weird thing to realize as a kid, but that's that's the one thing that stands out the most to me. And and I know that that's maybe not the typical thing for, for people's fandom. Uh, you know, you, you tend to talk about, when you talk about defining moments as a fan of a team, you you think about like the 0.9 second shot and, and you know, the, the waving goodbye and those kinds of defining moments, the kinds of defining moments that win you a series or put you into the playoffs or whatever. But for me as a kid, that wasn't it. And I guess that that, I guess that's been true uh, for me as far as being a fan of basketball, I've never been the same kind of fan that the people around me have. I've always viewed the game slightly differently, and it's always been more than just a game for me. It's been a lot about the people. It's been a lot about, um, you know, the the story around the game. It's always been that way from the time I was a young child. So I think that um, for me, that is the single most, like, prominent memory that i have uh, of the trailblazers um mine was well perfect first quarter i was in attendance and i remember that was san antonio uh there was after the blazers had eliminated san antonio from the playoffs in 1990 the playoffs before san antonio was upset about that and it happened in seven games and happened because rod strickland made it over the head pass that jerome kersey intercepted strickland never should have made that pass san antonio had beef basically they thought that they were going to win it and they were coming back loaded for bear to take the blazers down in the first matchup of the next season to serve notice that this wasn't going to happen again the blazers paced a 41 10 first quarter on them of that game that san antonio came in to teach portland a lesson and the lesson was taught and the blazers were not going to look back at that point at san antonio or anybody else and i remember that feeling i remember that quarter it was amazing just built on crescendo upon crescendo and i was in the memorial memorial coliseum 
Uh, so that was fantastic. Uh, that's probably a single in-game memory. Um, I also remember, though, the crushing loss, as I said, in 1991, the conference finals. Uh, I was old teenager uh, at that point and was beginning to undergo the beginning stages of clinical depression, which had come upon me. I mean, like you, I'd experienced a lot when I was a kid. Uh, and, you know, emotional emptiness, vacuum, you know, that kind of stuff. We won't go into details. But at that point, things were coming crashing down. And I was not physically alone. I had people around, but I was emotionally alone. But the Blazers were there, and the Blazers were doing very well. And that became my lifeline, right? But then that heartbreaking moment was a lot. You know what I mean? It was it was a lot when you expected they were going to win their second championship and all of a sudden they got ousted by the Lakers of all people and on a heartbreaking last second shot that could have preserved the series of all things. And just that feeling of emptiness like right after that shot missed and you're like, it was like almost someone died. I don't want to exaggerate it, but that feeling of being out of touch with reality, like that just not just happened, right? That was, that's the the world isn't the way it was supposed to be. It looked like it was going one way and now all of a sudden we're in a much darker timeline. Uh, So I remember doing that, uh, went out and shot baskets right after with a friend and just tried to process it and couldn't very well. So I remember that. Um, the Greg Oden draft was another big one. That, of course, I was much more adultish for. But the moment, and it wasn't even the draft, it was when the Blazers won the lottery that year. Uh, and we were doing Blazers Edge, actually, at that point. And that was one of the kicking off points of of, of the site that, it, that really made it an icon. But uh, the when Portland's number was skipped in the biggest draft of you know, in recent memory. I mean, this was, people knew this was going to be Elijah Juan Jordan uh, again, uh, or this was going to be, you know, something huge, right? And uh, the Blazers were slated to, what was it, seventh or sixth or whatever they were, uh, and they got skipped. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're top three. And then you have to wait for that gap. It's like, okay, we're going to go to commercial, then reveal the top three. And you're going, you bastards, just tell us. And it's like, okay, number three, not number three, just not number three, because we know it's Durant and Odin, right? It's like, just please. And then Atlanta, I believe, was number three. And you're going like, yeah, top two pick. It's like, there's no way this could get any better. And then Seattle was revealed number two. And it's like, yeah, Portland number one, as it turned out, would have been better to be number two, maybe, because then the decision would have been out of Portland's hands. We were going, you can't possibly blow this again, right? LaRue Martin, we remember that, you know, we remember those number one, Sam Bowie, obviously, we remember that. This is their redemption. They can't possibly blow it. And they didn't. They took Odin, who was a great player who just was injured and never barely played so anyway i remember the the draft lottery that year was another you know huge moment i think yeah it's interesting because i i didn't really get into that side of things until more recently you know the the drafting and all of that it it wasn't it wasn't part of what i followed and so even though i was around for some of that and i know about it and and you know of course heard about it at the time I wasn't somebody who was watching that at that point in, in my 
Blazer fandom. I was I was watching the games. I was reading the stories about them outside of it. But but the the draft wasn't something that I was really paying close attention to at that stage in life. Um, and and maybe that was good. <laughs> maybe it's good that I that I missed those because it seems to be traumatic. Uh, there's some there's some trauma there for for Blazers fans. Yes, we we try. We do not speak of that era. But anyway, yeah. next week if we don't have more news. Do you want to do like uh, History of Blazer's Edge? We promised last sure. summer we would do that. And so if it remains slow, if there's Blazer's news to talk about, we'll do that. Otherwise, tune in and we'll talk about Blazer's Edge, where it came from, the untold story behind the music or whatever we call it, cribs. Anyway, um, for Dia Miller, I am Dave Deckard, and thanks for joining us, and we will see you again next week. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here and out of you. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>